This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditch the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I talked to social entrepreneur Jennifer Long, who is the founder of Wondersnap. Before creating her company, Jennifer helped launch both Lululemon Athletica and Tom's in China after growing teams at Alibaba and Groupon Hong Kong. Jen knew she had a greater purpose, which led her to create Wondersnap, a company that affordably connects travelers with local photographers to create compelling images and purposeful jobs. On this episode, So Jennifer shares how to build a career as a social entrepreneur and how she created jobs in developing countries. I was so inspired speaking to Jennifer and all of the incredible things that she has done in Asia and all over the world. And I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I do. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for joining me here today. Can you fill in the gaps of your story and why you live an offbeat life? Thanks so much for having me on. Um, so I, uh, I was born in Hong Kong, grew up in Canada, uh, spent my career in Shanghai. Um, and then in between all that run around, decided that I wanted to uh, start this company based here in Hong Kong, but very much on the road. The plane is my happy place. <laughs> What made you decide to start your company, Wondersnap? It's a really interesting concept that you have. Can you tell us a little bit more about your company? So we are an original content platform uh, that serves families on the B2C side. We serve brands on retainers. Um, and then also we have some live event tools to help event organizers capture their leads better. Um, so across all these three businesses, if you will, they have different opportunities, different uniqueness. But from day one, we just wanted to create a platform where it was easier and more efficient for creatives to find new jobs. And our goal is to optimize their talent as much as possible and connect them with whether it's families, businesses, or event organizers. One of the things that's really interesting and unique about your company is that creating jobs in developing countries is one of your main aspects and assets for your company. Why did you decide to do that and why was that so important to you? I think we live in a world where it's increasingly online and we forget the more online we are that it's a privilege to be online. Um, this extends to this whole digital nomad or creative freelance economy where if you didn't have some sort of base income and education to even get your first camera or your first computer, you're not likely to be able to participate in this ecosystem. And so being able then to build this platform and route more bookings to rural Bangkok or rural Jakarta, um, it's our hope to at least bring some of these jobs there that wouldn't have otherwise been available. And there are certain cities, especially in Asia, where the mobile internet usage is higher than any other regions in the world. I think Thais is the number one. Imagine that you, know, you have Thais taking a selfie posting it on Instagram and at a tourist site and all that interactions happening just a few steps away from a Thai youth who would have otherwise been driving uh, a tuk-tuk or working in a local food stall. 
by being able to give them some of these job opportunities or at least inspire them to, uh, we hope at least they'll uh, pick up a camera and, and, and explore in that. When you wanted to realize this goal that you had, what were the first steps that you did in order to do it? Yeah, so I was in the camp of wanting to do it half time before going all in. And that was um, when I was in my last job, probably for the better of almost six months, just working at nights on weekends, uh, found a tech team to build at least the very, very, very alpha prototype, which is nothing even on the site now. <laughs> um, but at least to get something up where you can search, you can book, you can pay, and you can leave a review. And having that shell then was just asking friends and family if they would use it and if they would, observing their behavior of how they used it, where their criticism would be. Before I decided six months into it that, you know, that there's something there um, and I'm willing to quit my job to go all in on it. And there's a lot of things that happen back end of, of this, especially in technology and all of this content creation for your website. How are you able to build a strong team that will help you through all of this? What was that process like? There were a lot of um, trial and errors, to be honest. And some team members worked, some didn't. Um, I think if I can look back, it was all an iteration. And as a first-time founder, most of us don't even really know what we're really looking for in a team. It's very different to hiring someone to join your team when you're on payroll because the financial motivations and prestige of a particular company are inherently different than trying to find folks who are just as passionate to work on a project with you. Um, and so throughout that iteration, that's where you start to have inkling on the skill sets that you need, the skills gaps that I have that I need to find team members to um, make up for um, personality fits. And so um, it took us a better of almost a year and a half and to get to the current team structure, uh, equal weights, you know, skill set, talent, passion. Um, and then even then it's about how to keep team morale up and motivated and, and purpose driven. Being busy and running a whole company as a female entrepreneur, what does your day look like? Yeah, always awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always plugged in. And so I'm an early bird. I try to get up as early as possible. Um, I commit to at least sweating once a day. Some days I do it, some days I don't. Like I think all of us candidly, but um, it's a goal that you know I believe if I can commit to challenging myself physically, then uh, I have the mental strength to go through the wild journey that is running uh, a growing startup. And then, yeah, after sweat sessions, basically back-to-back -back meetings, calls, whether it's externally, internally, sales activities. We, Our company doesn't yet have an operations team member, so I still take care of a lot of the back end as well, whether that's in finance, in operations of the site, customer service. And then you run and you run, and then in between somewhere in there, there's client engagement. So sometimes either I go and crash a shoot that I know it's in the city that I'm at, or any of the event organizers that we uh, serve. I'm usually there for on-hand tech support. Um, and then when I end the day, read a book and go to bed, wake up, and do it all over again. <laughs> That is a very busy day, John, and I'm pretty sure you're getting a lot done. 
I think sometimes it's the metric is not so much about getting the quantity done. It's, you know, and now it's more learning about is it getting done, things done the smart way, spending the least amount of effort to have the highest amount of impact in whatever you do. Um, and that's still very much a learning journey that I'm present to. And it's all about being productive, not just being busy. Yeah, someone once said to me that startups don't die of starvation, they die of destruction. And that couldn't be more true that by by the time when you decide to do something on your own full time, you're probably resourceful enough of a person to think of all these different pivots and ideas and experiments that you want to try. It's more about which ones are you going to try first, because that priority will dictate the course of the company um, before you run out of time or cash or energy. <laughs> so that's it's definitely about working smarter, as cliche as it sounds. You're doing a lot of meetings. You're meeting a lot of people. Can you tell us the most effective networking technique that has worked for you? There's two ways. First of all, I don't do business cards. If I'm meeting someone in person, um, I don't believe in chopping a bunch of trees down to only pass a piece of paper that they would have already had anyway since they got a meeting or a call or met you at an event. Um, and it's most direct when uh, they you actually live in someone's phone because only then would they be more enticed to instantly text you back. And, and that's where the conversations happen. A lot of it is actually just via text messages for me. And then uh, building on that, it's I rarely, I only reach out to folks that I have a very clear idea of what I need from them. And so if it's a potential partner or a sales proposal, by the time when I'm reaching out, it's not necessarily just to have an exploratory chat. You still have to be in a place of listening and hear the needs, but I have an idea of why I want to be connected. So otherwise, um, I actually don't really pass out my contact. If someone really wants to engage with you and collaborate, they'll go to the ends of the world to find your contact and um, build a relationship. So I think being cognizant of why you're reaching out to not cloud yourself with just a bunch of follow-ups that you need to do will create a sense of purpose and helps you to organize your time better. Seems like a real time saver too, because there's a lot of people that are just going to be wasting your time. Yeah. And a lot of people who would just, you know, imagine if you give out your card a hundred times, 90 of them will follow up. And if only 10 of them are genuine contacts that benefit your business, not that they're good or bad people. Um, it's just where your business is at. Then you're spending time on the 80 leads that's 80 minutes, if not more, that you can use to do other things that you need to do. So are there any specific questions or techniques that you do in order to make sure that the person that you're talking to is someone who's an A-lead? I'm conflicted on that because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so presuming that someone has a certain need or a budget may actually prevent you from even having the conversation. Um, but I think in general, it's, there's one cadence. It's usually, whether it's our B2C or B2B business, if someone is coming to you last minute, whether that's an hour before they need the service or even sometimes half a day, their value of what you do isn't really there. And therefore, there's usually problems that come with those experiences, partly because it is so last minute. So your own team and organization can't 
deliver the same quality as if there were more intentional planning. But from their side, it's also a matter of respect that um, they may not value creative services and the content created as highly, and that's why they're coming to you last minute. Um, so that, for me, it's it's been a pretty good benchmark. Um, we still, as a company, have so much to do to optimize better for last-minute bookings, um, but that has been sort of um, a signal that I'll read into. It's pretty much just putting value in yourself and your worth and what your company is worth and what your time is worth. You got to just say yes, right? Because you can't afford to say no, or you haven't experimented enough to say to know what to say no to. And then each business is different. And at some point, you you just you either get tired or you just genuinely run out of time to say yes to everything. That's where you start developing your own sense of self. And it's just a matter of self-respect, um, absolutely, that when you know how to say no, you're just building boundaries um, and hoping to work smarter on the leads and, and, and partnerships that actually yield something positive for your business. Throughout your whole journey, what has been the biggest setback that you've encountered and how did you handle it? Every day. <laughs> There's not, you know, I, uh, I, I think of it as, um, it actually someone said it to me, I'm going to borrow it from her, that it's just like surfing. You know, you sat on the beach, you already see waves coming in. It's not like it's a surprise wave. They're just visible. They're in a distance. You see it. And different waves of different sizes, different strengths. Some of them push you all the way back to the beach. Some of them just hits you lightly. And whether you choose to stand there and let the waves crash onto you and you embrace that crash, or you pick up a surfboard and you duck under and swim underneath the, 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 the wake to get past that wave, that's your choice. And every day it's standing on that beach. And then I think this journey is standing on that beach. And entrepreneurs almost have this like addiction to pain or extreme <laughs> high tolerance. And if you're not that personality type, it's not, again, a good or bad judgment of whom you are. It's just whether or not this wake, the surf is suits your personality type. For me, you know, I'm still present to learning about how to reset. Some waves hit me much harder personally. And how do you uphold your own energy to not affect the work that you do, affect the team spirit, affect your community. Those are certain things that it's not about just coasting through the surf. It's how do you make sure that you still show up as the point of guidance for those people in your businesses? Sometimes too, when you look at businesses and business owners, uh, especially in media and social media, it makes it look so glamorous. And a lot of people have been wanting to do it because it's the end thing now. And they go into it and they don't realize how much work and the glamour is only 1% of it. There, There is this you know, the, what is it? I don't know what the stats is, but the ones who make it into the news are probably 0.005% of every entrepreneur who has started. And then you have a pathway of deciding, okay, I've started something. Even before the pain tolerances, am I doing this to scale for venture capital, like the folks that you read about in the news? Or am I building this to be a sustainable lifestyle business? Or am I doing this as a side hustle, but it isn't even my full source of income? 
once you make those decisions, extremely ego free, extremely authentic to what your needs and like hierarchy of needs are, then you go down on, okay, how much pain am I willing to weather? And for every job that we've done, there's always departments and teams. And imagine if all those departments and teams get absorbed into you singularly needing to do all those roles and functions within a 12, 24 hour period of time and doing it stretch X amount of years. Like, I mean, that's literally the pathway of thinking that someone should be meditating on before even jumping in. And it accounts against all those. Are you working on something that you're willing to go uh, to the ends of the world? Because sometimes it's not just about your ability or your drive. Sometimes it's part luck and the macroeconomic trends. And if it's not the right time, the product market fit isn't there yet. Do you have the perseverance and cash to last a little longer and just wait a little longer for those macro um, trends to move into your way? That's a lot. And I think, you know, that's why it's still a small breed of us that choose to go on it. But those should probably be the pathways that someone needs to think about before doing this. It definitely takes a very special personality to be able to do this and be okay with the failure and keep taking that hit. I was talking to a friend earlier this week, and he's a serial entrepreneur, highly, highly successful by by, by way of me- if you were to measure in capital raised, rounds gone, press mentions, size of the company. If those were success metrics, which I don't think it necessarily always have to be. And and I asked him, why do you keep doing this over and over? And all he said was building companies is fun. And that really resonated that it's not just even going through this process and standing on the beach waiting for these waves to come in. For, For that person, it's fun to stand on the beach and get hit by these waves because they wouldn't be doing anything else otherwise. And the fun is still, you know, I think that's the drive that we all want to get up and and continue doing this journey. Throughout this whole thing, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people. What has been the worst advice that you've ever received? I think it's unsolicited advice. For anyone who, and and it's ironic because we're sharing advice now, no one will ever know your business better than you do. No one. No one will ever be thinking about your business more than you do in terms of time spent. And no one's going to be as up and in on the competitors and macro trends and customer journeys as much as you do. And so while you feel, and I did, I felt deeply insecure about, you know, is this the right call? Is this the right direction? Is it the right investment? To be honest, no one outside of you will ever know better than you. They, they, can, they can give you some guidance and they can tell you based on their experience of doing something kind of similar to what you've done, but no one's ever built your company. So at the end, your gut will inform you. And it's those times when I actually didn't listen to my guts that I'd pay the price later on. It's so important to trust in yourself. And I think you have to build that up as well. Yeah. And even if, look, I, you know, we all, we're all human beings. So self-doubt and and judgment is natural. And in this process, you get so many people from so many places always saying no. Then it's about how do you build your support network to tell you yes. 
if in your mind, sometimes you're just going to doubt your own yeses, then that's okay. Just make sure you're surrounded by the people and the tools to help you be reminded that it's okay to say yes. And, and I think each entrepreneur has an army of a village of people who are also just as present to deal with the journey because they're supporting that person. After hearing what you do daily, <laughs> can you share with us one productivity tip that has worked for you? Lately, I'm really into this app called Off Time. It basically triggers you whenever you've been on your phone for too long. So, of course, if we're building online businesses, it's inevitable to be constantly plugged in uh, because that could be a new lead. It could be a customer in crisis. It could be your team needing something, whatever. But being constantly distracted is not good for deep work um, that I think each of us needs to do significantly every day. And so what off time does is you can set sprint. So uh, I think for me, it's if I'm on my phone for consecutively more than 15 minutes, it'll beep and basically like shut off whatever I'm doing. So I have to go. Um, and then it also sets a daily limit. And the daily limit is deeply embarrassing. So if I get to the limit, it literally, it's not even a, a phone call ring. It's not even a text message ring. It's this perpetual vibrated ring that's very alarming. And so when I hear it, like my fight or flight in me, it's like, oh crap, like I need to put out my phone. So that's one. And then down to, you know, all the notification of Facebook, Instagram messages, I actually turn them off. Um, if someone is really in a situation, they can call. And then same thing on my web browser, turning off all the notifications. At least I'd say those are some of the things to at least just protect our attention span. Yeah. And I think that's also a great app to use just for being around people we love as well, because especially when you're working and you're doing a business, it's so easy to be on your phone all the time and not pay attention to the people in front of you. You know, that's the biggest luxury, really, of our generation. It's how the mindfulness and, and the crazy thing, I think, it's to imagine that the configuration we're at now, that's not even the worst. With more AI, with more other technologies, we're even more online than we're ever going to be. And being mindfully human while all these online activities are happening, I think it's so important. It's, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that sense because we love it so much and it creates all of these opportunities for us, <laughs> but it can also go the other way. <laughs> how are you able to finance this chosen career in business at the start and how do you continue to create income today? So each entrepreneur does it differently. I don't think there's ever a template. And if you're reading about venture capital and, and the game of it. And then that's the reason you get into starting your own business. I think you have it all wrong. I've met entrepreneurs who've just had careers previously um, or started other things and sold them. And then they bootstrapped from beginning to end. Um, I bootstrapped for the first six, well, almost a year before I went and raised a really small uh, round and grateful to my investors. Then that's um, sort of the fuel for the rocket ship, um, at least for um, a period of time. Um, but I still do other things on the side just to also, you know, feel like you're beyond this source of funding. You have other fuel for the rocket ship as well. And so some of them might be I teach spin. Um, I'm an Airbnb and experience host in this part of the world. And some anchoring um, moderator type roles. 
yeah, so it, it, it just depends. And then I've also had friends who are building companies and they're doing acting jobs on the side. Um, so just whatever you need to feel financially secure because that sense of security is fuel for you to focus on the business as well. Let's fast forward to 50 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, gosh. <laughs> for me, I think there's three thematics. One, it's it's being able to create sustainable social impact organizations. Two is being an Asian descent woman and being an example for the life that we can create. And, and that's not necessarily just on a career aspect. I think, you know, as kids growing up in immigrant families, we're, we're, we're just subject to a different cultural experience and showing that there's multiple career templates beyond the traditional jobs. Um, that's one. And then um, lastly, um, being able to help create these creative jobs, enabling creative jobs to be not a cliche or something that warrants judgment, but genuinely a sustainable source of income um, for a lot of young people in this part of the world. Um, those are sort of the three thematics. And those are incredible legacies to leave as well for an Asian woman to be known and to create that impact. Because right now, there's really not enough of us doing that, especially in mainstream media. It's only necessarily perhaps in the Western dialogue that, let's say when I lived in Shanghai, um, China has more women CEOs than anywhere else in the world. And China also has more self-made billionaire women than anywhere else in the world. Most of the big top companies now, well, at least on the China tech scene, they were started and still are run by China, uh, women CEOs. So we grew up in a part of the world where the gender dialogue wasn't as prevalent. And so even growing up, whether you're a, a male or a female, you're expected to be productive predominantly. But those dialogues don't leave the confines of China. It doesn't ripple into the West and, you know, being able to fight on with the other sisters that also started their own company, I think, and being able to ultimately set as a template that it's okay to build your own business and not um, go into a traditional job. So, Jen, let's get to some fun questions. <laughs> some people like myself nerd out on interviewing inspiring people like yourself and hiking. What about you? What do you nerd out on? Oh, good, good question. Hiking, <laughs> definitely. I, I jive with that. The more offbeat, if you will, the better. So volcano craters and mountains that no one's ever been on. Um, those ones are great. I love, for me, creative outlet is still really important. So whether that's shooting DSLR, experimenting with drone, the creative process, it's still something that um, I, I, I nerd out on, if you will. Fitness, just it's not about getting in and out and just kind of clocking in that gym time, but I nerd out on like the latest trends or a new regiment or a new method that people claim it's super effective because at the end of the day we all have the same body for the rest of our lives and we all have 24 hours so how do you hack it to be stronger and more productive that's something that's interesting um and lately just even blockchain technologies not necessarily so much about the hype of it but learning more about this completely new configuration of 
organizing information. I think it's deeply interesting. If you were given a one-minute ad slot during the Super Bowl that you couldn't sell with the potential to reach millions, what would you fill it with? I think it would actually be a dare, a challenge. Not so much an ad, but a dare for everybody to shut off their phone and actually turn off the TV, (laughs) not watch the ads, and be just where you are and mindful. As I said, I think that's still the biggest luxury and distraction. The very fact that the Super Bowl ads even exist in their ways that they do proves that there's an economy for attention and challenging people to shut off and go away from it would be um, would be a dare. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I would like to see how many people actually do it because we're so addicted to, to all Correct. things technology. <laughs> Correct. Correct. What is the most unusual job that you've ever had and what did you learn from it? You know, those tally, um, uh, what do they call it? Those, um, those folks that call you on the phone unsolicited. Oh, to the tell telemarketers? You telemarketers. Yes. I've done that. I've done that once. And it was genuinely in a boiler room in that uh, it probably was a boiler room of a building. It was so hot, computers everywhere. And the most eclectic of personalities who choose to be in that room because it pays a certain way. And again, it's the pain tolerance. You need to have such thick skin to just not care. And indeed, like it's easy to be on the receiving end and just discounting, go on with your day doing whatever you're doing and forgetting about that person that interrupted you. But there is somebody who is doing that job on the other side and constantly rejected constantly interrupting people who don't want to be interrupted. And so that job taught me the thick skin. It taught me rejection is not personal. I still need to be reminded of that now, but rejection is not personal. And those folks are just doing their job. And I have deep respect for uh, telemarketers who do it as a career. What are you working on today that is really exciting to you? I have to say my company. (laughs) I wouldn't be doing that if I'm not excited by the future still. But beyond that, I suppose, um, again, I'm I'm still, I'm I'm just an innately creative person. So every time I get out to shoot, every time I get to get out and shoot for a client and co-create with someone I've never met before, uh, usually a stranger from another part of the world. And going on a photo shoot experience isn't just about me capturing or community capturing. It's actually two people coming together, brainstorming on the visuals, the poses, the stories that you want to tell and that creative process. It's so, um, every time it's different. Um, and every time it's just as exciting. So if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, so uh, they can definitely go to wandersnap.co to check out the company and our community of creatives. Um, and then otherwise, um, my Instagram is uh, long story short, and they can find me on that username on most social channels. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today. I really appreciate all the tips that you gave us. Thank you for um, creating the time to share. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jennifer Long. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Jennifer where she shares how to build a location-independent business. Love a good audiobook as much as I do? Of course you do. Well... 
you're in luck because I have teamed up with audible.com to give you a 30-day trial for free. Make sure to visit offbeatbook.com. Again, that's offbeatbook.com to get that incredible trial.